0: Welcome to this Asia Global podcast brought to you by the Asia Global Institute at the University of Hong Kong. I'm your host Alejandro Reyes, the Institute's Director of Knowledge Dissemination. In our programs here in Hong Kong and online and in the content that we produce, we focus on presenting Asian Perspectives on Global Issues. Each week, we publish Asia Global Online, a digital journal on global issues. We also release Asia Global Papers, policy research by leading academics and specialists in Asian and global affairs. We regularly convene a Global Thinkers Speakers Series and an annual Asia Global Dialogue a gathering of business, government, academic, and civil society leaders. Finally, we have the Asia Global Fellows Program that brings to Hong Kong mid-career professionals and policy experts, emerging leaders from across the world for three months of interaction and experiential learning about the region. Follow the Asia Global Institute on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and visit the Asia Global Institute website to sign up and receive our news and information, including the weekly Asia Global Online Journal. This podcast is part of our Meet the Author series, where we have a conversation with contributors to Asia Global Online and other publications of the Institute. Joining me now from just down the hall from my office here in Hong Kong is my colleague Yoshikazu Kato, adjunct associate professor at the Institute and a leading scholar on China from Japan. In his article on Asia Global Online, Yoshi discusses COVID-19 and the implementation of Chinese President Xi Jinping's major power diplomacy. The COVID-19 pandemic, he writes, has generated significant stress and distrust between China and other countries particularly the United States. While tensions between the two powers are not new, they have been further exacerbated by the emergence, even before the coronavirus crisis, of a more assertive China on the global stage and Xi Jinping's pursuit of his doctrine of major power diplomacy. So, Yoshi, uh, welcome. Thank you very much for uh, joining me. I'm wondering if you could give us some background on this concept of major power diplomacy.
1: Okay, thank you, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, major power diplomacy. This is a product of Xi Jinping's New Year, in my understanding. And previously, back to like Jiang Zemin or Hu Jintao's term, like define uh, after basic politics. At that time, China's major power diplomacy means China's diplomacy with major powers like the United States. Russia, maybe sometimes in Japan. Uh, but now you know, the Chinese Communist Party is you know, very drastically uh, shifting uh, or reoriented the concept. So now for Xi Jinping, uh, the major power diplomacy, this is, this means diplomacy adds a major power. So China is more proactively uh, seeking its interest or in rights globally. So this is a very important concept and reorientation of China's national strategy. So, but the problem is, uh, you know, how we, I mean the rest of the world adjust or respond to this new concept or new phenomena, because this has sometimes created some, you know, problems, tensions or stress. So, you know, this is a new challenge for us, particularly in the context of COVID-19.
0: Well, in fact, let, let, let's, let's go down that path because um, you, in your article, you describe very well, what China is trying to do in terms of taking advantage, if you will, mm. of the coronavirus crisis to pursue the major power diplomacy um, track. Um, but how do, how do you think other countries will respond? I mean, we already see the United States kind of stepping up the competition with China and the rhetoric about uh, you know, China not, uh, behaving well in terms of its transparency, in terms of um, uh, letting the world know about the, uh, alleging that that China didn't uh, inform the world about the pandemic, about the epidemic, about the virus uh, soon enough. Um, How do you think other countries will respond? And And I guess we have to think about, you know, the response in the United States versus the response in Europe, and then of course, the response in countries around this part of the world, in, in Southeast Asia, Japan, and then indeed maybe in other uh, developing countries. The, the responses will be very different. So, I'm wondering if you give us a th- your thoughts on, on, on the responses, how, how countries will respond.
1: So, I, actually, you're very right to uh, describe uh, what's a major part of diplomacy or a you know, response from the international society. Actually, it depends because, you know, this has different implications for different countries, different areas. Because, you know, my, you know, the major part diplomacy and my understanding is this has four aspects, right? It's the economic expansion, the political penetration, and friendship creation and protection of core interests. But, you know, back to the more fundamental question, how should we deal with China? What does the rise of China mean for us? But who is us, right? You know, for example, Japan, the United States, Russia, North Korea, or in developing countries or the developed economies, actually, we have, we would have different response, different implication for that. So I would say the response from the international community has been very divided, far from integration. So like looking at the United States, actually US maybe it's a very specific uh, response from the Trump administration, but very much, you know, uh, strong, you know, very uh, confrontational. But you know, looking at some countries, even Japan, you know, basically no response. Including now, what's happening in Hong Kong? You know, of course, like U.S. and Canada, you know, or in Australia, U.K., they have already you know, responded. You know, we we are deeply concerned on what's happening on Hong Kong. I mean, the new security law. Uh, maybe it would create uh, new tensions, and then maybe they think China is taking advantage of the you know this vacuum, uh, you know, created by the pandemic. Now China is moving forward. But maybe this is somehow, somehow explanation from the United States. But in you know, Japan, you know, Japan has a different understanding or, you know, so far Japan has not responded or not condemned the China's, you know, you know this uh, action or enacting the new security law. So uh, I would say, you know, different countries, even in, you know, liberal democracies and US alliances, we would have uh, different responses to what the China trying to do. And so now, so that's why it's very important for us to understand the China's real intention. What they want to do? So in this sense, I would say for the Chinese Communist Party, the most important thing is protecting its legitimacy, you know, legitimacy through economic, political, diplomatic ways to, you know, consistently maintain and protect its legitimacy. Otherwise, you know, you know, you know China class Theory, this kind of very, you know, you know uh, important question, uh, coming up with. So uh, this is, you know, how I understand, uh, you know, your question, you know, how, how should we or do we respond to the China's major party diplomacy, but this, this is very divided, uh, far from the integration. So uh, it's a great challenge for us, how to deal with China and to understand, you know, continuously, you know, what China's real intention, what do they really want to do? So this is my, you know. Yes. That, and
0: now, would you be concerned, you know, as we Um, move towards November in the U.S. elections, uh, there are those saying that the big issue will be China, China, China. That will be uh, a determining issue. I mean, of course, you know, the uh, U.S. performance response to the coronavirus, but China will be a factor for sure. Do you see uh, relations then between the U.S. and China kind of further deteriorating as we get towards November? Um, uh, Could it it become uh, even more heated? I mean, uh, and possibly uh, we really could step into a a kind of Cold War scenario, if
1: you will? Mm. Uh, Uh, I am not optimistic. I mean, beyond that, uh, the U.S presidential campaign. I think, you know, of course, now nobody knows the outcome, right? You know, Trump or Biden, but, you know, it seems to be, you know, very confrontational. Maybe different approach, different tactics, but, you know, it's now anti-China or anti, you know, maybe I would say anti-SUSNP major party diplomacy looks very bipartisan. You know, this is a kind of consensus uh, in U.S. Congress, you know, U.S. You know, government. So maybe it's, it seems to be only consensus on U.S. You know, foreign policies, even I would say. So you know, I think now the United States and China—they are very aware that now this is a strategic competitor, you know, and this would not be end very in very short time. So now China, I think China is ready. What China is preparing for, how to you know tackle this U.S. approach, you know, very strong. And actually, you know, we say you know, engagement policy. China, I think, China now already concluded. Now, the United States has abandoned the engagement policy with China. But of course, they are very carefully managed uh, to use some containment or confrontation. But this is exactly the strategic competition. So now, China is trying to do that. So I think, you know, for example, the Hong Kong, Hong Kong issue or issue, Taiwan. You know, this this means you know, core interest for China. I think China would be no, no, you know, fundamental compromise, you know, zero tolerance to protect its core interests, because this is a very important part of the you know, major party policy.
0: So let's, in fact, talk a bit about China, because the economy has reopened. Uh, we have the two meetings, the Yanghui underway. Uh, what can you say, what are your thoughts on post-COVID China, as it were? I mean, in terms of what's the direction at the moment? Is it really focused on very much on, on economic recovery and, and the, to, the, that they're, they're, they're more, um, the interests abroad say, the internationally will be driven more by the need to address the domestic challenges, particularly the economic ones.
1: Sure. Uh, I wouldn't say China, China, China puts a great focus or emphasis on post-COVID-19. Because you know, the Xi Jinping administration already you know, you know, mentioned uh, a new normal, uh, a new era. So you know, I, w- I wouldn't say you know, China uh, combines the COVID-19 with something new. Uh, rather, you know, they're going back to a new normal. And a new normal has already existed. But you know, uh, as we know, China, you know, this year in the annual conference, you know, Li Chan uh, disclosed a working report and China omitted the GDP growth target. And this means China thinks now the circumstance uh, is very much uh, uncertain, particularly uh, outside the border. Now you can look at the United States, Europe, You know the, the, the influence of pandemic could, couldn't be uh, estimated or predicted very well. So that's why China omitted the GDP growth. And, you know, and as we know, the economy is the most important part for protecting legitimacy. And this is always, this has always mattered. China. So I think now China, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned, if we say the COVID nineteen period. China, first of all, trying to uh, maintain and boosting economy, you know, using every possible tools like you know fiscal policy, financial policy, the government initiated investment on infrastructure, and of course, you know, some more strategic area like five G, you know, you know, uh, uh, intelligence, uh, AI or you know in the internet or even some surveillance issue. I think China is trying to move on in this issue. Uh, uh, maintaining the legitimacy is very important. That's why economy does matter. Uh, but the problem is you know how to how to tackle, you know, how to respond to the pandemic. In this sense, China seems uh, very uncertain, not that confident on the do that.
0: Well I, I think that's a point you make in your article, that it yeah. all goes down, it all boils down to the Communist Party seeking legitimacy uh, domestically and and abroad. Uh, Now, you mentioned already the Hong Kong national security law issue that uh, has created a lot of concern. Uh, Certainly here in Hong Kong, we've seen protests over the weekend. Um, What are your thoughts on that beyond what you've already said? I mean, in the sense that uh, this is an indication clearly that China wants to uh, Possibly use the the coronavirus context, but to keep moving on the Hong Kong issue and and, and perhaps try to uh, tamp down the uh, the protest uh, movement.
1: Uh, yes, you know here in Hong Kong, some protest or demonstration has already restored, you know, like you know uh, last weekend. Uh, but I think China, I think I mean the uh, the central government of China, they understand the issue in the context of U.S.-China relations with China's strategic competition because you know we can see you know from the new security law one very important point is anti-interference, anti-interference. Of course, you know a lot of you know voices, a lot of you know aspirations in Hong Kong itself. But you know China, you know maybe some in terms of some you know conspiracy theory. This is you know what the United States trying to do, what to contain even change China. So you know of course now I'm. I wouldn't say this is right or wrong, but you know this is how you know, the Chinese Communist Party thinking. You know, I mean this way. So you know they have to protect this core interest, you know, because Hong Kong is a core interest for, for China. And now the United States is trying to do something uh, to contain or change uh, this situation and and using Hong Kong or something like that. So I think I, I I understand this way. I mean you know Hong Kong issue is more than Hong Kong. You know, this is, of course, you know, in terms of freedom, democracy, or, you know, international relations in the h you know, Hong Kong is quite important and getting much more complicated. But, you know, for the Chinese Communist Party, uh, they are thinking this how to manage the relations in the United States. And this is the biggest, biggest implication in terms of the, how to implement the major power diplomacy, right? I mean, the, the diplomacy as a major power. So this, I would say, this is indispensable phenomenon, sooner or later. Because if China stands up and you know conducting this diplomacy, I think it would, you know, indispensably create some tension with the United States. Yes. Sometimes tension between, you know, authoritarian systems and democracies. So now the things is getting more complicated.
0: Interesting. Now, uh, let me ask a bit of a personal question. So, <clears> Yoshi, you know, you've been doing research on China for some time. And uh, what, what are you working on right now? What, what are your... Particular focus, uh, you know, in terms of your research. And-
1: yeah, I'm working on one paper and one book, and both are uh, related with China's political development, uh, with China democratize, and you know, and, and in the context of today's conversation, you know, one important part is external pressure. You know, now some external pressure for example, from the United States or international communities or democracies, they are you know, pushing China to be more you know, open and more you know, liberalized or internationalized and friendly or something like that. But the problem is how would this you know, pressure or approach change or facilitate China with something new or something like that. But now in this sense, I am a bit pessimistic because you know, the external pressure push China more you know inward you know, more you know strong uh, and created more tension between China and the rest of the world so uh, you know how we China democratize or China's political development you know this has uh, you know very much you know affected our life this is you know modern China this is modern politics but you know for us and the rest of the world you know how to understand China how to deal with China I think this this has been very much a fundamental and, uh, and consequential issue in this century. Yeah. So hopefully you know, I can produce something meaningful.
0: Now, you know, as a researcher, you, you, uh, you speak on, you, you speak and read Putonghua, uh, Chinese, uh, you have a long experience uh, working on the mainland. Um, what are your, the biggest challenges of a, of a China scholar uh, that you see, mm. you think?
1: You know, of course, you know, uh, uh, Understand correctly. This is the most important, right? You know, if you don't understand correctly, you know how to respond, how to deal with that. You know, it's, it's, it's very problematic. But I have never met President Xi Jinping, so you know, I, I do not understand what he what he is really thinking about. But you know, under the current circumstances, you know, Xi Jinping has consolidated its power. So for me or for some other China watchers, the most important thing is uh, correctly understand what Xi Jinping. Is thinking about and is trying to do. Uh, so, in my word, the real intention of the Communist Party, because Xi Jinping is a son of the party, not Xi Jinping's party, but you know, you know, Xi Jinping is a son of Chinese Communist Party and he's a prince. So, I am trying to understand him as can as possible. Yeah,
0: not an easy job. Yes,
1: yeah, not easy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank
0: you very much, Yoshi, for joining us.
1: Thank you all for having me. Thank, Thank you. you.